0: This is Scott Becker with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast, thrilled today to be joined by Dr. Ken Kawamoto. Ken is the Associate Chief Medical Information Officer. He's going to talk to us about what he's doing, what he sees, informatics, and more. Ken, Dr. Kawamoto, can you take a moment to introduce yourself?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Thanks, Scott. So, um, I'm Ken. Uh, I'm a faculty member at the University of Utah, where, like you said, I serve as Associate Chief Medical Information Officer for our health system. I also wear a few other hats. I'm a Vice Chair for Clinical Informatics in our Department of Biomedical Informatics, and I uh, lead an effort called Reimagine EHR, which is focused on uh, building add-on apps on top of the EHR to uh, optimize patient care and the provider experience. Um, and uh, that's uh, my background in a nutshell.
0: Now, the University of Utah has a magnificent reputation as a health system and center. Talk to us a little bit about that's what so the University of Utah. We'll get we'll get there in a second. But talk to us about biomedical informatics for those of us that are, you know, more lay people, but even people that are physicians, but not in, that don't know what biomedical informatics is. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yeah. So uh, there are a lot of definitions of biomedical informatics, and even biomedical informaticists sometimes can't agree on what it is, but in gist, it's um, really the science of how you use data, information, and knowledge uh, to improve human health. So there's a lot of related disciplines within it and subdisciplines like clinical informatics or bioinformatics. Um, people oftentimes um, uh, think about information technology or IT or data science, but uh, it really is about the science of how do you take um, uh, information and knowledge and actually use it to improve human health.
0: And, and, and talk to us then about the role of CMIO associate CMIO. What what are the principal priorities in that role, and what do you, what do you do in that role?
1: Yeah, so I think really like any kind of um, uh, individual in this type of role, CMIO associate CMIO. Really, the top priority is always this uh, for patients, right? To make sure patients receive the best care possible, and. I'm fortunate that I'm in a health system that's already doing quite well here. We've been, I think, top 10 in the Vizient Care Quality Consortium rankings for quality for 10 years in a row. I think this year we were number one in the nation for inpatient quality, number two for ambulatory quality. But, you know, even in a system like this and our peer organizations that really focus on patients and, and quality, I think, you know, when you look at the, the literature and look at our own data, it's pretty clear that patients really deserve more, so... Uh, if you think about this, um, there was a, a classic paper by Dr. McGlynn from RAND in the New England Journal, I think about early 2000s. The, to me, was really shocking when I saw it. It's that uh, patients receive only about half of the care that we know patients should receive, which, you know, if you think about it's pretty shocking. It's about a coin flip. And, um, and you know, what we've done over the past few uh, decades, et cetera, is we've really invested heavily in, in information technology, um, in particular with billions of dollars of federal funding to incentivize the adoption of electronic health records. And we really thought that that should help with patients getting the right care, et cetera, but it's become clear that it really hasn't made too much of a difference. If you look at the quality measures, it's oftentimes it's, it's really not moving very much. And in fact, you know, as we've increasingly adopted EHRs to the point where it's almost universally adopted in hospitals and most clinics, it's it's become clear that the EHRs oftentimes are viewed by physicians less as a help and more as a burden, which you know is is really disheartening, right? Where physicians are one of the most um, burnt out uh, folks uh, in terms of profession and it's, it's shocking, but when you look at physicians um, uh, surveys of you know, what causes causes them to be burnt out, EHRs are oftentimes in the top three reasons of, of why. And, you know, this is something that, that, you know, related to patient care that I focus on, and I think a lot of folks in, in my type of position focus on, which is how can we make the electronic health record and associated technologies not a burden but more help? How can we make it so they don't spend two to five hours on the EHR for every hour they actually spend with patients and you know, go through in, inordinate amounts of clicks to do things that should be relatively simple.
0: And um, is, yeah. Is that getting better at all? Is it, is it getting better? Is an experience with the EMRs now that EMRs have been around, like when they first came on, It was a horrible challenge, and physicians would say they're losing 20% of their productivity or more. I mean, it was really a real challenge. But then, of course, over time, people get used to technology. You can't ever imagine going back to paper not having EHRs at this point. And and we need them for a billion reasons. But is it getting better? Has the physicians experience the EMRs, EHRs? Has it gotten materially better over the last 10 years?
1: I think we found ways that we can make it better for sure. Um, but if you talk to any provider these days, I think the level of stress and frustration is still quite high. Um, and you know, just as an, a recent example, I was talking with one of my colleagues who's a pulmonologist and intensivist, right? And you know, he takes care of COVID patients in our in our ICUs. And when I was touching base with them and talking with them, <laughs> and I asked him how things were going, he he wasn't actually that you know. Uh, stressed out about his clinical work, taking care of COVID patients every day. Um, you know, he he just accepted, hey, this is this is my calling, this is what I'm doing. And then what he got into and what, what wanted to talk to me about was the fact that you know what really stresses him out is when he's done with all his shifts, he you know returns and in the EHR there's a whole bunch of in-basket messages waiting for him to sort through from his ambulatory clinic. And you know, to me that was striking, right? Where it's like you know, you're in the front lines, you're taking care of patients in the ICU, no less. And the thing that really bothers you is the EHR. And I think so, you know, we still have a a long ways to go, and there have been ways we've been figuring out how to improve it, but I'd say, um, uh, you know, when you look at the surveys, when you look at uh, uh, what what they're saying, our providers uh, really could use some help.
0: And, And let me ask you a question about that. Traditionally, at least in a lot of specialties, primary care is a good one. A physician goes home at the end of the day and he's largely not stuck looking at emails and texts and mm-hmm. interconnect and stuff like that. And physicians of course are already overwhelmed. We have three hundred and thirty million people in our country and not enough physicians, not enough providers. Mm-hmm. With the movement like I know in, in professions like many of ours Mine in the old days used to be able to leave your phone in the car at night and really sort of turn off a little bit. Now yeah. of course, everything in life, uh, your children, your business, everything is on the phone. Yeah. as healthcare moves towards virtual care, is this going to instead of releasing a part of the burnout problem, is this going to accelerate physician burnout because now the physicians are going to be expected to be that much more accessible. is this just going to be a disaster in terms of burnout?
1: Yeah. And I mean, you bring up a great point, right. Of, you know, the work staying with you after you leave the hospital or, or the clinic. And, 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 you know, that really is, um, good background for, I think, one of the approaches we can do. Uh, traditionally, uh, especially as we've almost all gone into vendor-based uh, EHR products rather than homegrown systems that were uh, what happened in the, in the early days of many systems, we've really been limited in what we can do to um, uh, to how do we customize the EHR train, folks on how to use it. At the same time, some EHRs like the one we use, Epic, allows a fair amount of customization and, and what we call optimization. And leveraging that, we actually have uh, started a program for Home for Dinner, which is led by Dr. Maya Hightower, our CMIO. And, you know, the program is exactly what you (laughs) alluded to, right? That when you're done with your clinic, when you're done with your shift, you can go home for dinner. And, you know, you don't have to be staying in the chart for two, three hours, et cetera. And we can track this because we can look at when people are logging in, completing their notes. And it's, you know, oftentimes pretty disheartening how often that happens. And what we found with this is this has had tremendous success. Where we go in uh, shadow our, our providers, see how they're doing, and provide customized um, uh, customizations in the EHR and, and tips on how to maximally use it. And we found really great success in terms of providers being satisfied, spending less time in the EHR, spending more time with patients, and being generally more efficient. So I think that's possible. And you know, some of the most powerful things we hear from that are testimonials on well, I can finally go home for dinner, right, and and spend time with my children rather than, you know, being being wedded to the EHR all night or, you know, on the weekends to finish up notes. So so I think that is definitely possible, and we're starting to learn how, after we've stabilized implementations of EHRs, how we can go uh, beyond it, and I, I think um, that's really promising. Another aspect that's, to me, really promising is the fact that it's increasingly become possible in recent years and is starting to get cemented through federal regulation that we don't have to uh, just accept what comes out of the box from the EHR so traditionally uh, you know EHRs have been kind of like monolithic systems where if it's not in the EHR well it's not in the EHR you really can't do much about it Um, but what's really happened recently is they've started to move towards more of a, a platform model so kind of like when you have a, a phone that you buy, you know, like an iPhone or uh, an Android phone, and it comes with a certain amount of uh, uh, apps and functionality that Apple or Google uh, gave to you. Um, and, you know, it's, it's very effective. It's, it's useful. But uh, I don't think any of us who have these phones would say, okay, that's it. I'm not, you know, I'll just live with this. And what's started to happen is we've started to come up with capabilities where we can actually add on additional fake functionality into the EHR that looks and feels <laughs> as if it's part of the HR, but we can build on top of it.
0: Let me ask you a question about that. When when my son wants to buy an app for his phone, sometimes the apps are quite expensive. He, he wanted to buy one the other day that's $99, and I said, can't you find a cheaper one that does the same thing? Mm-hmm. As these platforms become easier for physicians, for service line directors, for others to add onto the platforms, Do you have to control what they choose to do, what they choose to spend on, how they implement it, and does it require a lot of resources of the IT group to help them implement it? How do you control some of that while trying to help physicians?
1: Yeah, so um, on the patient end, they can choose whatever they want, and that's enshrined in regulation. Uh, On the provider end, what typically happens is individual providers aren't buying individual apps. What we're doing is we are... Uh, working as health systems on behalf of our providers to vet and install these applications so they're available to all of our providers at once. Um, But uh, I think one of the benefits here is because they're being built on standards and you can replace them, there's going to be natural competition, right? So if you charge, you know, nine nine dollars, kind of like you know a smartphone app, if you charge nine nine dollars for something and you know there's something just as good that's five dollars, well, you're just going to buy the five dollar version. Something similar happens in this environment as well, where you can't charge inordinate amounts of money for something that um, someone else can replace you with because it's it's
0: built to be yes. kind of an app store. Let me ask you another question: For these yeah. add-ons, do the add-ons? Are they easy to add on, or are they things that require time and attention of the IT department and other people yeah. within the system?
1: Yeah, so it really depends. Uh, there are some areas where it's, it's actually quite simple to add on. Um, so uh, it, it really depends on how the standards work. But for example, when you're talking about the problems people have, the diagnoses, the medications, those are generally all standard already. So if there are applications that depend on those, you just plug it in, and basically it works out of the box. There are other areas where a little bit more customization or mapping is needed. So, for example, lab results is a good example um, where there are standards for what you should call, uh, for example, you know, cholesterol test or um, hemoglobin A1C test, et cetera. It's called the Blink standard. But there's no national regulations right now that require that to be available. So on the uh, EHR system, you need to say, hey, you know, in our system, we have 10 things called, you know, cholesterol. Which of these uh, should be um, pulled into this app? Uh, that is something that uh, there is some federal attention uh, being paid to to try to address. This has also become an issue with COVID, with folks not being able to talk about COVID tests the same way. And, uh, But that's an area that um, that uh, I've been engaged in on the US Health IT Advisory Committee, which is a federal advisory board in, in this area. But, um, you know, realistically, uh, it's not that bad uh, if you're looking at the common data elements that are required in in these standards and that are commonly shared across uh, EHR vendors. It's the, you know, we... It gets easier and easier to
0: implement some of these things.
1: You can get up and running pretty quickly. Yeah, that's right.
0: And then the U.S. Health IT Advisory Committee, how often does President Trump sit on those meetings?
1: (laughs) Uh, I don't think it's, he's ever attended. <laughs>
0: so he's missed those meetings. No, I'm just kidding. It's, the, uh, it's fantastic. Ken, it's a great pleasure to, to visit with you. You are incredibly gifted. You work with people like Maya Hightower, who are also as well incredibly gifted. What a gifted team you have at University of Utah, and, and what a pleasure to visit with you today. would love to get a chance to visit with you again on our podcast. Thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you so much, Scott.